0: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and uh, Jerry's over there, so it's stuff you should know. Oh, wow. Succinct. <laughs> Energetic edition. <clears throat> a little bit, yeah. Yeah, it's cold. I'm energized by the cold. Energized yeah. and, like, just a little. Bleh. Yeah, so you're not energized, is what we're saying. I'm a little energized. Okay. I feel like I am. I'm fine. All right. Why do you say that? Because you sound like you're sleepwalking. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I thought I was just speaking fast. Oh, no, no. Oh, I thought that's why you were that. I was being it. sarcastic. I'm sorry to everybody who's sitting through this right now. <laughs> you sound down in the dumps. You alright? Yeah, no, I'm fine. Okay. I'm just, it's the cold. It's a little dreary outside. I think yeah. it, today's the day it finally started to get to me.
0: So you're ready for spring.
1: Yes. um,
0: Emily's ready for spring. I'm like, it's, you know, it's January. And she said, no, no, but it's Georgia, so we could have spring
1: in a few weeks. It's true. We kind of had it yesterday. Yeah. Um, You, me, and I have been making these little bird feeders, like with cookie cutters and shapes and all that stuff. And I've been trying to get the physics of it down to hang them so that the birds can, like, land on them. So I I incorporate twigs in with these things. So they can spend a little time there. Yeah. And there's this, um, Little sob of a squirrel that has my porch all figured out and oh, keeps yeah. like getting these whole bird feeder cakes. Yeah, and I realize like I'm spending a lot of time like trying to thwart this squirrel, <laughs> figure out the physics of a bird feeder. I'm like, yeah, I'm ready for spring. Yeah, apparently.
0: <laughs> yeah. We have one of those cake holders uh, for birds, mm-hmm. but it's really a squirrel feeder. Yeah, and they eat it in like a day.
1: Yeah, this this squirrel can eat several cakes, and it makes a mess. Yeah. All right. Cave Dwelling. <laughs> I can't remember. I've, I've asked you before, but I don't know if you've seen it um, since I asked you, because you hadn't. Cave of Forgotten Dreams by Werner Herzog.
0: No, I watched... You still haven't seen Well, that? I watched like 20 minutes of it this morning mm-hmm. just to get the gist. You got the gist in 20 minutes. Well, I can't wait to
1: watch the whole thing, though. It's pretty much that.
0: Yeah, but I want to watch it. Well, oh, yeah, you
1: should. It's like, neat. The whole thing's well, neat from beginning to end, but yeah. I mean, like, it's a a... I think maybe a two-hour-long documentary on a cave. Yeah, and the cave art. It's phenomenal.
0: Yeah, I know the one in, uh, well, they're both in France, right? Yeah. The one that gets the most press is the... uh, Lascaux. Lascaux, which is great. But this one, to me, the art is better.
1: Well, Lascaux gets more impressed because it was discovered in 1940. This one that Werner Herzog did a documentary on was discovered in 1994. Yeah, and it's twice as old, like 32,000-year-old
0: art. Mm -hmm. It's amazing.
1: Yeah, it is, and it's all spectacularly preserved. One of the benefits of discovering Lascaux in 1940 was that when Chauvet Cave, the one that was discovered in ninety four, it's even older, was discovered We'd already figured out a lot of stuff along the way and how to preserve it.
0: Right, right. So we could go in there and sort of
1: TCB. Yeah. You, you need to cut down on the carbon dioxide that people are breathing out. You need to let Werner Herzog in there. <laughs> yeah. Um, you need to cut down on flashes, flash photography, yeah. because uh, apparently flashes really do degrade. There's something called photo degradation yeah. of especially old pigments. Um, and it's basically like releasing the sunlight. Over the course of a few milliseconds. That makes sense. That's one flash. But if you add up all the tourists over the years, all of a sudden you're basically bringing the sunlight artificially into this cave and it's degrading the pigment. So yeah. there's all, s- all s- sorts of stuff we learned from Lascaux Cave. It's not being applied to Chauvet Cave. Yeah. Um, but yes, it is older. It is more awesome. And, and the, the very evidence of old cave paintings and all the artifacts and yeah. bones that are found in caves would suggest... That there in some distant past of prehistory was a race of hominids that were cave dwelling hominids. They, they were a race of cave dwellers. Yeah. That must be correct, right? Ringo Starr. Yeah. I saw the movie. Caveman. Or was that a documentary? Was it a movie? Yeah. <laughs> You're thinking of Quest for Fire.
0: Yeah. Well, those are all great movies. Clan of the Cave Bear.
1: But, well, I was setting you up and you, you
0: didn't. Well, no. Okay. Thanks. Is the answer. Um, <laughs> They now believe that, uh, people through different periods of ancient history have dwelled in caves. Sure. At times. Yeah. They probably didn't like set up permanent residence in caves.
1: Yeah. And the big pivotal evidence of this is that the people who would have supposedly lived in caves at that time were all nomadic hunter gatherers. Sure. They wouldn't have been stationary for, in any kind of dwelling. Yeah. They got to go out and find the meat. Right, so there was no such thing as a species of hominid that you could say are cavemen. Right. Those were the cavemen. All the other ones just lived, however. Most of the people who were alive in what we're talking about the Paleolithic era, yeah. which went back from about 2 million years ago all the way up to about 10,000 years ago. That's the Paleolithic era. Yeah. Um were they they lived in all sorts of different kinds of shelters, caves being one of them. Sure. Yeah. Uh
0: one reason to go into a cave is obviously, it's gonna, and we covered, uh,
1: this is, I think, our third. Yeah, the cave suite. Cave suite, yeah. Biospeleology. Yeah. Which is awesome. Spelunking. Yeah. Uh, and then this one, cave, cave dwellers. Uh, who thought that we would do a three-part <laughs> series on caves ever?
0: Well, and this covers cave art such that this will probably be it, don't you think? Is there anything else?
1: I can't think Cavey? of anything. No. Not really.
0: Nick Cave, maybe. We could do a podcast <laughs> on him. Um, so uh, some reasons to go into a cave to begin with obviously is to protect yourself from the weather. Uh, I think it's probably the leading
1: Yeah, it's reason. raining. Let's sure. go inside that room. Yeah, it's not raining in the cave.
0: Yeah. Um, to protect yourself from animals because if you go back and listen to our biospeleology, mm-hmm. only certain animals are in caves. Very few. And not a lot of like, you know, big
1: nasty man-eaters. Although back then they would have run into cave bears, the clan of the cave bear. I don't know if saber-tooth tigers were cave dwellers, but f- I've seen a lot of Flintstone episodes, and from what I understand, they do. They did go into caves. Of course, you would run into the uh, Proteus salamander, which you would not want to run into. Remember the three-foot-long eyeless salamander? Do I remember? White. Nightmares, like once a week. Yeah. I don't think it'd do anything to you, but man alive. uh, Yeah. I wouldn't want to see that thing. Like you wake
0: up looking face-to-face with that eyeless monster. Yeah. Yeah. But um, protection from animals, protection from weather. Uh, but protection from other people wasn't really a big reason because this no. is good to know. They kind of got along and helped each other in general.
1: Yeah, there's something called uh, Paleolithic warlessness. Yeah. Like the concept of war, organized war, is apparently only uh, maybe twelve to 16,000, 18,000 maybe years old. I think
0: probably once people started getting comfy is when they started wanting to fight each other. Back then, they were just trying to survive.
1: Yeah. You know? Well, there's a whole idea that agriculture and sedentary existence is what led to warfare. I want what that guy's got. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's basically, and it led to surpluses, so people fought over surpluses. That makes sense. You're starving over here, and they've got all this grain over here, so you go kill all those people and take their grain. We should do a history of war. That'd be good. Well, that would be good.
0: Uh, but there were, obviously, there were scraps in the Paleolithic. I mean, it wasn't all, like,
1: wine and roses. Yeah. Um, you tried getting along with Ron Livingston. <laughs> no, that's not his name. Oh, uh, yeah, Ron Livingston was a <laughs> Everybody gets along with Ron Livingston. He's from Office Space, right? Yeah. No, the other guy. Ron the... Perlman. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> um, that's a pretty good mess up. Uh, there were scraps every now and then, like, obviously over you know, territory or food or fire, but it wasn't like, hey, let's go to war with this tribe because right. we don't like them or we want what they've got.
1: Because, I mean, the, the consensus among anthropologists apparently is that war is relatively recent. It's not that ancient. It's certainly not as ancient as a lot of the cave art we run into. Yeah, 32,000 years. Yep. So um you've got shelter from the elements. Sure. Protection from animals. Um, nice steady temperature as we... That's a Remember. big one, yeah. Because a cave typically is about in the fifties, fifties degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah, um, year round. Yeah. So if you are in a cave and you're living there, and it's summertime, you are sitting pretty. Oh yeah. If it's winter time, depending on where you are, say you're in northern Europe, you're still sitting pretty. Sure. All you have to do is build a little bit of a fire. Yeah. And uh, hope you don't smoke yourself out. True. And you are, you're you're in some climate controlled. Luxury, especially for the stone age.
0: Yeah. You know? Uh, one reason that everyone didn't live in caves, and this is something I learned when I went on my caving experience, which is detailed in the spelunking episode, is that even though there's tons of caves, not a ton of caves are like great to live in. Like a lot of them you might walk right past because it's just a hole in the ground. Mm-hmm. You have no idea there's an underground cavern. Right. A lot of them are inaccessible. Um, a lot of them have our active, uh, so it means they have water, which isn't super hospitable. No, an active, flood.
1: Inactive cave, yeah, it'll flood. Yeah. Um, you don't so, want to be in there when it floods.
0: Yeah, they're just not, like, generally they're not like these
1: huge cavernous, like, oh, it's a big underground home. Well, plus also there's a lot of um gravel slopes, which yeah. if you stand on them, you can fall and die. You learn that pretty quick Yeah, there's a cave dweller. Lots of different exits and entrances and shafts and things like that that can be misleading and confuse you and um, dark. get you lost to your death. Yeah. yeah. Apparently, just a couple of dozen feet. I don't remember. There's the light zone, the twilight zone, and the dark zone. Yeah. And I don't remember where the twilight zone ends and the dark zone begins. But once that dark zone begins, there's no light. Like, no yeah, light. Yeah. And like whatsoever. you said, you can't
0: just start a bunch of fires because you can die Yeah. from uh, smoking yourself out. Yeah. You can hit your head on stalactites. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. So it's not the most common thing to find, like, a great cave for 10 or 12 people to live in. But when they found them and they needed them, they would dwell in them.
1: Right. And, um, again, that's one reason or several reasons why people didn't just live in caves all the time. But another reason is because they knew of other ways to live. Yeah. They could, um, stretch animal hides over sure. uh, structures. They built, um, earthen dwellings, yeah. uh, where they would build like a lean-to or something and then pack earth over it, which is another way to control the climate or temperature in that little Dwelling, yeah, and again they were nomadic. They were following herds of bison and mammoths, and yeah. um, you know, it's a big, beautiful world too. Let's not forget, yeah, like why would you want to
0: go live in a cave your entire life when you've got the run of the place of planet Earth mm-hmm. and uh, all it has to offer? You know,
1: if there was a uh, hominid uh, that could be considered cave dwellers, though, it it would probably be the Neanderthals. Yeah. As we understand right now, it wasn't too terribly long ago that we discovered a new species of, um, human ancestor. Well, at least they were contemporary with modern humans. Uh, the Denisovans. Oh, who, who's that? Um, they, they were, a, they're a type of hominid uh-huh. that lived in the uh, 30 to 50,000 years ago at the latest, I think maybe. Okay. And, um, there's a cave. In Croatia, I believe, where they discovered a molar, and they thought, well, no, they discovered a finger bone, and they thought it was Neanderthal or human. Okay, and they ran the DNA test on, and they're like, uh, this is neither. Wow. What, what is this? So they named it. It's a Denisova Cave or Denis Cave, one of the two, and uh, they named this new species of hominid. A the Denisovans. And then they looked at the human genome and they're like, oh, we apparently interbred with them. Wow. Because we have a little bit of Denisovan in all of us. Really? Or most of us. Yeah, people who um, stayed in Africa and didn't disperse, uh-huh. like Neanderthals or other um, modern humans too, uh, apparently didn't have the opportunity to mix with Denisovans or Neanderthals. Uh-huh. So typically uh, people of European descent, Native American descent. Right. They will have um, Neanderthal and Denisovan in them. Huh. But there's this cave in Croatia has evidence that these Neanderthals, humans, and Denisovans possibly shared these caves at the same time. Isn't that crazy? To they did Yeah, they didn't necessarily sit around a campfire with one another. That's what I picture. But they they may have been using the cave within you know the same year or something like that, depending on the season. See, I pictured them you know making s'mores and. See, how do you get your back so straight? But, I mean, think about it. If they were breeding, you know, yeah, then true. maybe it wasn't those caves. Jerry either laughed at that or she's choking on
0: some food. <laughs> or both. <laughs> Perhaps. Uh, so, yeah, the Neanderthal was um all over Europe and during a glacial period. So, obviously, they got harsh climates. Mm-hmm. So they might want to poke into a cave every now and then and warm up right um and there are a couple of uh strategies that uh, archaeologists believe were used back then the circulating mobility and radiating mobility mm-hmm. and circulating was um and i i kind of like this idea is <clears throat> it had several temporary camps kind of scattered all over a region yeah and it's kind of like just having different homes and you would just go from place to place and live in your little home and hunt mm-hmm. and gather uh or, it's the
1: same thing the ultra-wealthy dude today. Exactly.
0: Or uh, radiating mobility is when you had one main camp, and you would just go out as far as you could to hunt and gather from that camp. Right, and, so
1: you had other shelters along the way. I don't know.
0: I thought the, the radiating mobility was just the one camp, and you came and went to that camp every day. And that uh, was the difference. I see. Is that right?
1: It's possible.
0: I think that's right. <laughs> um, and apparently some of these camps were in vet caves at times.
1: So they were using caves for sure. They were um doing something else too. Uh they were creating art in these caves. Boy were they. Which has people um baffled as to exactly what was going on. What's the deal? What the heck is all this for? But before we get into that, you want to um you want to take a message break. Yeah.
0: All right, cave art. Yeah. And if you have in your mind uh, cave art as, like, super primitive, like, you know, is that a buffalo or is that a giraffe, you should go just Google the cave art in those two caves, especially.
1: The, uh, oh, yeah. Calvet? Calvet? Chauvet. Chauvet. Chauvet? Yeah, one of the things that Herzog talks about that they figured out, if I remember correctly, is that the torchlight, the flickering torchlight, yeah, produces movement of these animals. Oh, interesting. And um they think they're, they're wondering whether that was like intentional or not and they think it, it probably was intentional because like were the they making little movies? So pronounced, yeah. Interestingly. Not-
0: uh but it's like legit art and legit talented
1: painters. Yeah, when you look at this this stuff. Mm-hmm. It's pretty amazing. They they hadn't discovered um perspective yet, so it's all flat two-dimensional. <laughs> <laughs> but um <laughs> First of all, they're creating the things in utter dark by torchlight. Yeah, yeah. Using uh, earthen pigments like ochre for yellows and oranges. Yeah. Um, charcoal. Charcoal for black. What was the red one? Uh, I think for red, they used uh, iron oxide. Okay. And they used charcoal and manganese right. uh, for black. They're using very, very primitive brushes in the um, dictionary sense of the word.
0: Yeah, or they're... Early airbrush artists, yeah, essentially because they're blowing this pigment through a uh, a uh, a tube, a tube, yeah. or just out of their mouth, right, onto the walls.
1: Yeah, uh, it's, and then they're also using their hands and their fingers. But you're right, man. There are some, especially when you take all this into consideration. Yeah, it makes some of the art that was made just staggering.
0: Yeah, apparently they would use too some of the uh, texture of the cave itself. Like if there was a An indentation, or not an indentation, but a, what's the opposite of an indentation? A bump. Yeah, if there was a bump that looked like a rhino horn, Mm -hmm. they would incorporate that as the rhino horn. And uh, all of a sudden you had, I mean, it's not quite 3D, but it's definitely more than flat.
1: Yeah, right. You know? They're like, it's not perspective, but it's going to have to do. (laughs) Uh, They now
0: have evidence in some of these 30,000-year-old caves of scaffolding they would use? Oh, I
1: hadn't seen that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And
0: um, principles of stenciling, early principles of stenciling. Mm -hmm. And apparently when uh, Picasso visited uh, Lascaux, he said to his guide, they've invented everything. And he was just like blown away. Yeah. Basically like, I'm just copying these early hominids. Right. It's pretty amazing.
1: It's about right too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, And actually, I don't know. Picasso's all right, but some of these cave... Dwelling. They haven't
1: beat? Uh, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't look funny. They didn't have one eye. And... They didn't wear berets. No. <laughs> um, so, uh, most of the subjects of cave paintings that have been discovered so far, and there could be tons and tons of undiscovered caves. Yeah. Like the one at Chauvet wasn't discovered until 1996 because uh, at some point in the past, a rock fall happened yeah. and closed the cave off to view. And it just happened to be discovered by some hikers. Man, can you imagine being the person that discovered that? Yeah, it would have been pretty cool. Amazing. Um, So most of the cave art that has been discovered so far depicts herd animals. Yeah, a lot of animals. By and large, they're herd animals. They're bison, they're buffalo, they're um, mammoths, things like that. Um, There's very few images of vegetation. Yeah. Very few images of humans. Yeah. The images of humans there are, they tend to be things like fertility idols, like female fertility idols. Yeah. And there's a theory out there that those were painted by adolescent boys. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> As like basically early, you know, yeah. club magazine or something wow. like that. And uh, th- that may or may not be correct, especially when they found that in France and Spain, a lot, and possibly the majority of cave art was done by females they recently have discovered. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. You know, the hand ones? Uh-huh. Hand prints? They figured out recently that most of those are female hands. Huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of the, the, the giveaway of the sixth finger that only females <laughs> have.
0: Um, there's an article that uh, I can recommend that actually is what inspired Werner Herzog to make his documentary called First Impressions. Mm-hmm. uh It was in The New Yorker in 2008 by Judith Thurman, and it's super awesome. And uh, she basically says there's a couple of camps when it comes to cave art experts, uh, those who can't resist advancing a theory about the art, Mm -hmm. and then those who say there never will be enough evidence to support one, so you're all just sort of making up these theories
1: yeah i think that's healthy that second camp is much healthier because it is all theories but i like the theories though yeah and i don't think we should just be like we'll never understand these so let's not even try yeah i think we should just remember that when we are trying to understand them they're all just guesses and not even really educated guesses at that yeah i think
0: my theory Mm -hmm. (laughs) of why there are animals mostly is because it was super important sure to their survival and maybe it was you know uh, some communication to leave for another person later or to each other maybe? Yeah, it Who could knows? be uh,
1: there's lots of buffalo in this area, yeah. so get to hunting. Or don't hunt these guys because I just killed a bunch of them by forcing them off a cliff. It was yeah. awesome, by the way, to see, but there's not that many left and we need them to keep breeding. Or I'm an eight-year-old Neanderthal and I was a naked lady. Yeah, here's a <laughs>
0: naked buffalo. For your pleasure.
1: Yeah. Uh, there's also, uh, lots of theories that these things were, um, supernatural somehow, like they were trying oh, yeah. to invoke the animal's spirit for a successful hunt hmm. or gain some sort of power by creating an image of the animal. Yeah. Um, and it could have also just been like, this is what I see in my everyday life and yeah. I have this desire to create art. So that's, that's the subject I'm going to make is. This animal that I am thinking about a lot because I have to hunt it for sustenance. Yeah, and that it's makes just sense. a conversion between this innate desire and the everyday life. Right. And that's bison on cave walls. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, some of them are pretty uh, detailed and uh, some are life-size. It's like they really took a lot of time. It wasn't something they just uh, dashed off yeah. in a matter of hours.
1: And they're using these torches, too, or not like... It's not like a a modern electric torch, no. Known as a flashlight, also, (laughs) but um, they're like stone torches with like a little divot in the top and some animal fat put in there, and then they light the animal fat, which I'm sure in and of itself is quite a task. Sure. Um, But so yeah, there was there was a lot of uh, effort put into this. Yeah. A lot of detail. Gathering the pigments, I'm sure, wasn't an easy feat, especially if you're doing like a life-size bison. Yeah. How long did it take to gather all that ochre? Sure, it's not a quick thing. <laughs> and it's not just
0: uh, paintings; they found uh, jewelry mm-hmm. and other like engraved bone and ivory, and they think they probably engraved wood too. But that obviously wouldn't survive that long. Right. But um, they suggest early religious belief in that they think they might have buried people with some of these things. Yeah. So you know, like. It's amazing stuff, and unfortunately, when there's no written history, there's a lot of speculation, but it just, uh, I don't know, it's fascinating to me.
1: Well, yeah. You know? And their their history's been largely lost. It just happens to be preserved in the caves, but since they weren't just a strictly cave-dwelling society, we're only seeing a portion of their culture. Right. Because the rest of it was in animal skin shelters and earthen lean-tos that have been yeah. totally lost because they were exposed to the elements. These or caves. caves
0: that were flooded out and yeah. uh, washed away, too. So right. Yeah. Well, that's why there's only, like, well, there's more than that, but the two big daddies. There's only two.
1: No, there's another one. There's one called uh, Altamira. Altamira. Oh, really? In Spain, yes. Steely Dan had a song about it, The Caves of Altamira. And is it loaded with art? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's, there's plenty more than that. It's just Lascaux is the most famous one and then Chauvet's the most recent, most famous one because right. of Herzog. Gotcha. But there are others. All right. Um, what about troglodytes? We should mention that. That's a great word to call somebody. <laughs> yeah. It always reminds me of trilobite. You remember the, the little weird kind of insect armor plated? Uh, fossilized insect. No. I'll show you a trilobite. Okay. It was one of the earliest, like, footed animals. Scary looking. Really? But that's what I always get the two confused. troglodyte means cave dweller. Yeah. Literally.
0: Someone who lives in a hole.
1: Or a cave. Yeah. Named after, there were apparently some West African tribes that the Greeks came in contact with and they lived in cliff caves and they were called troglodyte or Troglod. Well,
0: it's a nice insult that you can throw around these days and sound sort of intelligent. Yeah. Instead of calling someone like a D-bag, you'd say he's a troglodyte.
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah, I one got Jerry too, man. (laughs) You guys are on the same wavelength today. (laughs) I guess so. Uh, So I guess we can fast forward down to the present day. Yes? Well, modern. Let's not quite go into present day. I think we need to give a shout out to the Anasazi and the Pueblos. Word. Cliff dwelling peoples yeah. from the twelfth uh, century-ish of the southwestern United States, who basically showed up and started carving into cliff faces, carving out caves, and lived there. Oh, they built their own caves. Yeah, you should see some of these. Look up, like, uh, just look up cliff dwellers, U.S., yeah. and you'll see some really neat. They had like whole cities. Wow, like carved out into these these cliff faces that you could only reach by ladders. That sounds really dangerous. It was, but it was also very uh, well defended and sure. fortified. Yeah, because people just be like, "I'm not going up there to fight those guys." Yeah, I'm not climbing that ladder. It's crazy. <laughs> um,
0: can we talk about Mount Mount Hebron? Are we there yet? Yeah. Okay, uh, that's in the West Bank in the Middle East, and uh, a lot of uh, clan of Palestinians live in this network of caves that have been around for about a hundred years that their forefathers built. And uh, but of course, because it's in the West Bank. There's uh, some disagreement over who should be there, of course. Uh, It's been claimed by uh, Israeli settlers as well, Mm -hmm. and the army has threatened to remove the people. I don't know what the current state is.
1: I looked it up. I couldn't find it. The last I saw was that they basically designated it a militarized zone. Really? Which meant that the Palestinians living there needed to leave. But are they still in there? I don't know. The the most recent thing I could find was from 2005. Oh, really? So I I don't know. All right.
0: Well, southern Spain was that what you were talking about uh, uh, near Granada? I don't know if
1: Altamira is in southern Spain, but there's it's definitely in Spain. But there are like a natural cliff or cave dwellings that were carved out into even further cave dwellings in Spain. Gotcha. And um, have basically been continuously inhabited at one time or another. Yeah. Now there's a large homeless population there. Apparently, right. I mean, Spain's got like 25% unemployment. I'm sure that the, really? the cave-dwelling populations increase proportionately.
0: Wow. Uh, Cappado- Cappadocia mm-hmm. uh, in Turkey uh, has an elaborate cave system, and it's not a very friendly place. There's not a lot of vegetation. Uh, it's been described as lunar. And Have you um, seen pictures of this? Yeah. It's amazing. It's really amazing. Just you the natural
1: landscape that. itself is amazing. And then yeah. if you look closely, you're like, oh, those pockmarks are... Caves, like homes.
0: Yeah, and these were man made. These yeah. were carved out uh, for people to live in. Uh which is um I guess we didn't even say I guess that's the other type of cave. You can
1: either find one or you can make one. Yeah, and by making one I think any time you kinda enhance or extend a natural cave to yeah. that, that would that count? I would guess that'd be man made too. Yeah, probably so. But the, the in Cappadocia in Turkey, um Anchorites, which were early Christians who were hermits. Yeah. Um, they inhabited this these caves and and made the first dwellings. And then when the Christians were persecuted, they the were they joined by a lot more people. Yeah, and they actually built um, underground churches that became an underground city. Have you seen wow. these pictures? Uh-uh. Oh, they're amazing! Just the masonry and the artwork that they made of just. Hewn from the rock. Wow. That's still intact today. And apparently it was abandoned and then forgotten for a while. Uh-huh. And then rediscovered. No, but that was pretty neat to find.
0: Well, I got another documentary for you. Um, like no place on earth. Have you seen that one? No. Uh there was a guy in nineteen ninety three, a caver that um was exploring this cave in the Ukraine mm-hmm. and he found like shoes and medicine bottles and things. Wow. And he was like, Wait a minute, this isn't like paleolithic at all this looks like it was from the 1940s and it was and it turns out there was um 38 uh members of different jewish families hid Mm -hmm. in this cave during the holocaust for uh 511 days wow they lived underground for over a year and a half and uh some of these people are still alive, and they found them. Do and... they
1: still live in the caves? No, no, no. Okay.
0: No, they lived there for a year and a half. I got you. During the Holocaust, I got you. Yeah. Um, but they're, they had never told their story. They just like kept it a secret. Wow. Because they were like, no one would believe it.
1: And plus, also in case they ever needed to go back to the caves. Well, they did go back. They took them back to the caves. No, I'm saying if they ever had to go back to the caves, <laughs> like you want to keep the cave secret. Because it well, so worked the first happen. time, you know.
0: But. um it's pretty powerful, and they take some of these survivors back to this cave where they haven't been since the Holocaust. Wow! And they all survive too. Um, really, really great documentary. That's cool. Yeah,
1: very cool. Like no place else. Like like no place on earth. Okay, or like no place else. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's also apparently a trend in parts of Europe to buy old man-made cave homes. Is this a thing? And dress them up. I, I saw this, it. and I was like, really. I, I, didn't double check, but I could see this. Yeah. I mean, this is a grabster, so he's, he's good on his facts. Yeah. Outfitting him with electricity, um, installing modern plumbing, uh, getting the ventilation system going, and just turning it into a vacation home.
0: Yeah. yeah putting down tile floor. And there's always the cave home weirdos.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're, you've a, seen the shows on HGTV, those...
0: like, you know, bizarre houses.
1: Right. If you're a green person. Yeah. Ah, uh, you could do a lot worse than build yourself a cave home because the environmental impact is so much lower it requires much fewer building materials um If you can deal with very low natural light and not go crazy, yeah, then a cave might be suited for you if you can deal with the damp and moisture, cave might be suited for you,
0: yeah, and I shouldn't have said weirdos. It's okay to each their own but any anytime I see those shows of like extreme bizarre homes. You know, just this, shoot the TV. This
1: guy made a house out of uh... Like Bob Goulet was on it.
0: Yeah, pretty much. Um I've I've never been in like there was a cave house near us growing up actually. That uh Really? It, yeah, it was like you know, it was one they built into the side of, you know, Earth.
1: Where? In Stone Mountain. Is it still there? I assume so. Is it built into Stone Mountain?
0: No, 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 no. Okay. Um and it was like kind of the, the people would go by there and look at it and stuff, and I even as a kid I thought it was kind of dumb.
1: Did you ever know Jack McBrayer when you were younger? Kenneth no. from, um, 30 Rock. He's from Stone Mountain. Uh, Conyers. Oh, really? Yeah. In the show, he's from Stone Mountain. Oh, really? Yeah. Um,
0: one of the other writers for 30 Rock, though, I can't remember his name, is, is, I think went to Redan.
1: Is that right? Mm-hmm. Cool.
0: But, uh, no, I didn't know Jack McBrayer. Gotcha. <laughs> I wish.
1: Uh, you got anything else? N- oh, yeah. The last thing, one of the other benefits of a, um, cave home—it's very difficult to break into, which is sad because that is not the reason why they were initially used in yeah. the Paleolithic era. But it's a—it's a quality point now. That's true. How did, far did we've you come. See, uh,
0: right? God? Where was it?
1: That guy that built a
0: house underground?
1: No, I've seen those before. I've seen like missile silos converted into homes and things like that.
0: This one was for sale recently. I can't remember who sent it to me, but he basically built a. It's not like a weird. You know, Uh silo house. It's like a home Uh he just built underground. Like when you go down there, he's got paintings of the outside world on all the walls. It was this rich guy who built it, I think, as a, like a shelter in case something bad happened. And so, you know, there's pictures of like rolling fields and when you're underground, I mean obviously you can tell it's a painting but it doesn't feel like some cave it's like just a regular house yeah built underground.
1: Well there's a theory that we're going to end up living underground because eventually arable cropland will become so valuable that we will uh we'll all ha- we'll, we'll basically be forced to inhabit the opposite of skyscrapers they'll be going down yeah. instead of up because we'll need the land on top for crops. Didn't we do one on why why don't humans live underground? Oh yeah. I guess that could be part four then. I guess so. It's not really a cave. Yeah, that's true. You know, this is the cave suite. All right. So uh, let's see. You don't have anything else? I got nothing else, sir. Uh, If you want to uh, learn more about cave dwellers, you can type cave dwellers into the search bar at howstuffworks.com. And I said search bars means it's time for listener mail. Uh,
0: I'm going to call this, we keep making the same mistake with acceleration. Oh, yeah. And I'm tired of it. If we ever say this again, I'm going to like put us both in timeout.
1: You'd think Jerry would be paying attention, but...
0: I don't know why we keep making this mistake, but in the solar sails episode, we talked about... In fact, I think it was you this time said something about you know, the acceleration will kill you, or the speed will kill you or something going that fast.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it was me.
0: And we got a lot of emails, and this was one of the nicer ones. Heads up, guys, on a few things, including uh, on the solar sails. There's been some misunderstanding between speed and acceleration. Common belief is that traveling at high speeds is taxing on the body. Not true. It is the acceleration and not the speed, which is dangerous. Uh, Take as an example traveling in a car. Mm -hmm. Changing your velocity from zero to 100 kilometers per hour in a very short time results in a large acceleration. This is where you get that feeling of being crushed into your seat. But once you keep that constant speed, that feeling goes away. Same thing for a plane. Notice when you accelerate on the tarmac, it's pretty intense. But once you're up in the air... You'd barely feel a thing.
1: Yeah, you'd think we'd know this. I mean, we've done know, all sorts of research on the rocket sled <laughs> tests know. and acceleration and G-Force. Yeah. And- it's
0: just misspeaking in the moment.
1: We know this. Oh, uh, if I may interrupt for a second. Please. I ran across this um, designer's euthanasia roller coaster. What? Um, it was basically this guy designed, it's all conceptual, obviously, uh, and It's slightly tongue-in-cheek, but it was designed to kill you. Like, the roller coaster was designed to kill you. and
0: To go out with a thrill?
1: Yeah, yeah. Huh. and he he describes like what like at what point you will die and from what basically it's like you are going upside down so fast and the acceleration is so great that it basically like keeps your heart from pumping wow um and just to make sure you're dead he added like six of those loops right but it starts with this huge hill i can't remember what it's called i think if you look up euthanasia roller coaster this this guy's design will come up it's pretty interesting interesting but it it would be from acceleration, not speed. Yeah. Wow, that's a lot of work to put into
0: a killing machine. I would just draw a length of rope and a sturdy beam. <laughs> right. You know? Right.
1: Um, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't be a successful designer. <laughs>
0: Probably so. Uh, so then he puts it in the context of the solar sail um, and says only very small accelerations are involved, so a human traveling in such a ship would experience minimal forces. So I uh, hope it clears it up a little bit. It's Keep on rocking
1: it, guys. Thanks a lot.
0: And that is from uh, Niraj, from Australia uh, slash Mauritius. Niraj,
1: thank you. We appreciate that. We will never make that mistake again. I disagree. I'm sure we will. <laughs> Speed will kill you. Uh, where's Northern Ireland, Great Britain? Oh boy, UK, England. <laughs> <laughs> We've been getting that one wrong forever too. Yeah. You know, there's only so much information a human brain can hold. Everybody, and we're trying to fill it with things like. Cave dwelling backs and stuff like that. Well, right? yeah, and who was
0: the bass player for Poison? I can't get rid of that. You know that?
1: Yeah, Bobby Dahl. Hmm. <laughs> so there's C.C. was the guitarist. Brett Michael. Brett Michael. Bobby Dahl is the guy? Uh-huh. He sounds like a and, uh, 1977 Oriole or something, too. The, the drummer was, you remember him, right? No. Ricky Rocket? <laughs> oh, wow,
0: yeah. Now I do. <laughs> I didn't even like Poison. That's what's so funny.
1: Poison was good. Yeah, I wasn't a fan. They were good. Uh, let's see. If you want to know more about poison, I already did that part, didn't I? Sure. If you want to get in touch with us, how about that? Yes. You can uh, tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash StuffYouShouldKnow. You can send us an email to StuffPodcast at Discovery.com. And you can check out our very fun and entertaining home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com.
0: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, Netflix streams TV shows and movies directly to your TV, computer, wireless device, or game console. You can get a 30-day free trial membership. Go to www.netflix.com stuff and sign up now.